The things of earth are teeming In the light of your glory and grace I'll set the sights upon heaven I'm fixing my eyes on you
So now you're good. Now we know the answer to that. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being here at Trinity. Uh, before we get into a time of worship through song, I just wanted to welcome you and just kind of get caught up in a few things going on in the life of the church, and then I'll pray us into a time of worship. All right, so uh, just a few quick things. Remember, we have our blessing bags that are out on the table, out in the lobby, and so that's part of our missions team's effort to, uh, to bless the people in our community. So take one or two of those bags with you, keep them in your car, and if you see somebody, maybe on the way to work, on the way to the store, you can uh, bless them with that bag. If you see somebody that is in need, uh, that looks like they could use some help in some way or another, those bags are full of, of um, essentials and toiletries and socks and things that we can give to people that are in need. And hopefully it can, it can spur on a conversation and maybe start, um, you know, start the opportunity for you to share the good news of the gospel with somebody. And so you never know how God's going to use you. Amen? You never know. And so it's a way to be ready. And so take a couple of those blessing bags with you. We have plenty. And uh, we'll be doing more with them uh, next month as we prepare more of them and get ready for our outreach in, uh, in January. All right, so keep an eye on those. Um, this is a new announcement. On December 12th, you'll be hearing more about this the next couple of weeks. On December 12th, uh, Claudia and I are going to have an open house for everyone here at the church. We've been blessed with a new home, and so we wanted to have an open house here during the holiday season leading up to Christmas. And so Sunday, December 12th, again, you'll hear more about this. Uh, we'll have an open house in the afternoon that Sunday. We just want to welcome everybody from the church to come over at some point during that afternoon or evening and just share some food together and some sweet fellowship, all right? So um, if you uh, like to take notes, you can mark that down, but we'll go ahead and send out more announcements, and so you can put that on your calendar, but that'll be Sunday, December 12th, an open house at the Wattels. Um, next, uh, speaking of fellowship and food, next Sunday is already the first Sunday in December, if you can believe it. 
And so it will be our fellowship lunch, our monthly fellowship lunch. And so we, of course, are done with our barbecues, but we have what is traditionally known as our potluck lunches, where everybody brings food enough for yourself, your family, and enough to share. So uh, I'll send out a reminder this week, but that is next Sunday. And so please, Sunday, and so please uh, count on being here. Those are always great times to invite friends and family to come out because they also get to have an extended time to meet other people and ask questions and just to get to know one another. So that is next Sunday, our fellowship lunch. December 19th, that Sunday, is when our kids uh, will be part of our Sunday morning service. So just as a reminder of that, make sure you're here for that. Our kids have been rehearsing every week, every Wednesday night, getting ready to sing some songs and be a part of our Sunday morning service. So be praying for that, looking forward to that. Spread the word. That's December 19th. Of course, uh, as we always do every year, we will have our traditional Christmas Eve candlelight service. That's at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve right here. And it's a wonderful time of music, hearing from the word. And of course, as we enter into the Advent season leading up to our celebration of Christmas and the birth of our Savior, we love to uh, just bring that to a culmination and have a very special uh, candlelight service on Christmas Eve. And if you've never attended, it's a wonderful and very special time and also another good opportunity to invite some friends and family as we uh, celebrate and remember the birth of our Savior. And then finally, also remember that we have uh, a very special outreach in January down to Delaware, and our missions team has been preparing for that. And so we've been uh, donating coats and hats at that, that's that big box you see out there. We've filled it a few times already, by the way. And so we, we take it down the hall to sort out and get it ready and so make more room. So keep donating those warm uh, clothing items because we're going to bring all those down with us. And also remember the last thing that if you'd like to just donate financially, if that's best for you, then you can donate to the church and just earmark it for the January Delaware Outreach and the church is matching uh, a gift for that up to $2,500, and so we can buy more supplies to bring it with us. Amen? Amen. So let me pray us into worship, so if you can stand, and uh, just remember there's so much more that's happening at Trinity. Check us out at our website, trinityallenwood.com. But now is that time in our gathering where we calm our hearts, and we say, Lord, just, you know, we thank God for this day, and you may have had... Um, you may have had a rough morning, I don't know, or maybe you're just here and just filled with the joy of the Lord, and praise God for that, but however it is the Lord woke you up this morning, whatever it is you're carrying with you, we can just ask the Lord to, to, to help us to lay it down at his feet, so we can come before him and just offer ourselves up in worship. So let's pray. Father, we do give you praise and thanks and glory and honor. You deserve so much more than what we give, but we have come here, Lord, this morning not to receive, but to offer, to offer ourselves up to you and to worship. Lord, you call us to present our lives to you as living sacrifices, as our spiritual worship, and so that's our desire right now. Father, have your way with us. Holy Spirit, be our leader. And God, know that as we sing these songs to you, we take these words to heart. 
We want to really mean what we sing and what we say, Father. As we are reminded of who you are and of who we are, God, we want you to get all the glory. So be blessed, Lord. But we know that even through our giving, we will be receiving because that's the kind of good good Father and good God that you are. So Lord, we are grateful beyond words for this time together. Again, may you be glorified and we offer ourselves up to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus, we just thank you, Father, for your kindness, for your goodness. God, you are so worthy of every song that we could ever sing to you. You are so worthy of every piece of our heart, of every piece of our lives, Father. All the things that we struggle to surrender to you, all the things that we don't want to let go of, that we want to keep control of, Father, you're worthy of it all and more. Father, you are trustworthy. You're worthy of our trust. Father, we lay it all down at the foot of the cross, and we leave it there, trusting that you are enough, trusting that your blood was enough. Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us by your name. Thank you for redeeming us and restoring us keeping your covenant to us, for adopting us as sons and daughters, for giving us a new name, for making us a new creation. God, would you just make us more like you. Help us to sing the way that you do, Jesus, and to walk and to live and to speak the way that you do. seated. I trust that you've enjoyed a, just a special time of worship this morning. It's a time when we connect with God. It's uh, all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, pictures of people worshiping God. You know, our, our young ones always make their way down the hall this time, and you know, they go down the hall and they worship God too. I love that. They're learning what it looks like to give honor to God, to sing songs to Him, and to, to express their faith, their young faith. And uh, we're so glad and blessed by them. And we get to do that here together as well. You know, um, if you're a parent, you know that there are um, milestones in, in the life of being a mom or a dad, and um, there's times that you look forward to and times that you know are going to be difficult and times that are um, perhaps times that um, you anticipate and you know are going to happen, but not necessarily ones that, uh, you know, that you look forward to, but um, this morning... I mean, I'm always blessed to be here with all of you, and um, it is a blessing. It blesses my soul. It blesses my heart. This morning's a little bit extra special for me and for my wife, Claudia, because um, first of all, we have all of our kids here with us, and uh, we love that. 
But um, as many of you know, uh, our oldest daughter, Lauren, our firstborn, who is married to her wonderful husband, Ben, many of you have met over the past year or so, um, they have been planning a move for, um, for a while now. And the Lord has called them, and they are heeding that call. And they are moving right down the road to uh, Maui, Hawaii. <laughs> and, um, and without going into all the details, um, there's work for them out there. There's a calling for them. There's uh, already work with ministry and the potential for more ministry. And... Um, you know, it's something that we've known about for a while, but they're moving tomorrow. Tomorrow morning they leave, and uh, they've had some things shipped out there already, and uh, it's a new adventure, and it's a new start for them. And I, I think deep down we all love adventures, don't we? If you've ever seen any of the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movies, you know that that uh, Frodo and is, you know, he's, uh, and Bilbo Baggins, are, they're going on a long adventure, and they love it, and so... So our daughter and, and son, our new son, our son-in-law, Ben, Lauren and Ben, are going on a brand new adventure. And they're excited, but they're going with, um, with eyes wide open, willing to let the Lord use them and to guide them and direct them. But they have been coming to Trinity for a while now. And if you remember, we, um, we had the great blessing, if you can call it that, right? Of course, during the the pandemic in the early days, especially to be quarantined all together. And I say a blessing because certainly nobody wanted to be quarantined, but um, God did create a blessing out of that and that we got to spend a lot of intense time together, loving one another, getting to know each other and praying for them. And um, yes, there was many difficulties along the way, but here we are the day before they move. And so what I simply wanted to do before I I open the Word of God, and, and, um, and we look at um, the Word together, as we always do. I wanted to pray over them. Would you be willing to do that with me, just from where you're seated, to pray for them as they go off and, and uh, start a new chapter in their life, and ask that um, going forward, you continue to pray for them, but also to pray for their mom and dad, and pray as we, um, as we miss them terribly. Um, but looking forward to be able to support them from a distance, but to love them and to encourage them as God leads them. Um, you know, as I've said many times recently, Claudia and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, but, you know, if, if you're married, don't you realize, like, does it sometimes feel like it was just yesterday, right? And you're like, where did the time go? And you remember when you were just starting out, and so been married for a little over a year, they have, and um, this is the next part of their adventure. And so I'm just going to ask if Claudia and if Lauren and Ben, if you can come up, I just want to pray over them. And, um, and you know, um, uh, you can just say uh, on the way out after service, I uh, can just go ahead and, and say uh, a bon voyage to them and a blessing. But continue to pray for them. And so you can get closer. I'm going to be doing a lot of hugging of these these guys, and so um, just wanted to have them up here closer to me. I might have you stand up here the whole morning, even as I, I preach, so um, we love them, and hopefully you've gotten to, to meet them and to know them, but if not, uh, you'll be hearing more about their, their adventure from me and from their mom, and so let's just bow our, our heads and close our eyes in reverence to the Lord and pray. Father, 
I ask right now a special blessing over Lauren and Ben. Our, uh, our children whom we couldn't love any more than we do right this moment, but our children who we know are also, and were first, your children. You created them, you know them, you love them more than we ever could in a way that we never can. But Father, right now, we are just, with the words that we have, humbly asking that you would please lay your righteous right hand of blessing upon each of them. Father God, take them from this place, bring them to their new home, and shower them with your love, your blessings of provision, of protection, of patience, and of perseverance. And Lord, every step of the way, remind them in very, very special and unique ways each and every day how you are with them and that you promise in your word not that life would be easy, but that you would always be there for them in the midst of storms, in the midst of times and praise and rejoicing. God, let them find their joy and their strength in you and you alone, no matter where you call them and what they are doing. But Father, finally, use them to be your witnesses there on that island. Father, however you decide to work in their lives, God, use them to help the poor and the needy, the marginalized and the sick. Use them to be a blessing to people that are in need. Use them to be living examples of the gospel of grace. So Father, we pray traveling mercies on them. We pray all the details would work out, but Lord, ultimately we ask that you would care and protect, for, to protect them as their heavenly Father. And God, um, may each of us here at this church remember to pray for them often and to lift them up to you and to encourage them, Lord. And we just ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, their Savior. Amen. 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 Thank you, church. Thank you. I love you guys. It's always a good day when you can get Claudia to cry just a little bit. <laughs> She's not alone. <clears throat> we, um, I'm doing all right. So, in, you know, whether you're a parent or not, um, you know what that's like when somebody that you're close to, somebody that you love is moving on. And, uh, you know, this is those kind of times when you're thankful for Things like social media, right? And thankful that you can text and that you can FaceTime and you can do all those things and they don't seem so far away, right? And so, uh, am I right about that? Okay, some of you are like, I don't, I'm not thankful for social media ever, but that's okay. Um, if you can turn in your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone to the book of Nehemiah, we have been studying the book of Colossians, but today we're going to press pause on our study on the book of Colossians, and I'll, you'll see why as uh, the message unfolds, but 
Today we're going to um, we're going to look back at the book of Nehemiah, which is found in the Old Testament. And there's a particular story that has always meant something very special to me. And it's found in the eighth chapter in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah being one of the, the prophets. And I'm going to read that to you in just a minute or two. It's a long passage. It's from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. And it's a chapter that will remind us today, if nothing else, of the power of the Word of God. <clears throat> you know, I've been talking recently to a, um, a pastor friend, a local pastor who I get together with on a regular basis. We have coffee together and we pray together. We talk about ministry life and we talk about um, what's going on in our churches. We encourage each other. We pray for one another and for all of you. And, you know, in a recent conversation a couple of weeks ago, my pastor friend mentioned, he says, Keith, don't you ever just long for revival in the church? So we talked about the nature of revival and what that looks like. And throughout the history of the last 2,000 years of, of the church in this world, there have been times of what we would call revival. When there was a, a special move of the Holy Spirit and there were large groups, masses of people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and those who already knew were renewed in their faith and revived in their desire to love God and to preach his word and the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so we talked about what revival might look like in this day and age, in our community, in our country, and in our world. And so we prayed, God, would you bring revival? And if you want to use us, would you start with us? There are two things that we can see throughout church history that always were at the very beginning of any significant revival among God's people. And that was a recommitment to prayer, fervent prayer, and the reading of the word of the Lord. We call that our Bible. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, there is this amazing story of what happens to a group of people when they rediscover the Word of God. And so I want you to think as I read this passage and tell some of my own personal stories, I want you to think about what the Bible means to you in your life. What does the Word of God look like for you in your everyday living out of your faith in Jesus Christ? You know, um, as we were talking about revivals, I was remembering um, some things that I was just reading in this book. I'm currently reading a book about the Reformation. The Reformation was a key and, and highly significant moment in church history. It happened a little over 500 years ago. And if you remember back in 2017, when we actually marked the 500th anniversary, I did a whole sermon series. It was five sermons based on what's called the five 
solas, S-O-L-A. And the five solas came out of the Reformation. It was the, the five foundational principles and truths that came out of what we call now the Reformation. And this is what happened with a man named Martin Luther, if you've never uh, heard of him or heard that name. What happened was God simply used this man. He was a monk, a Roman Catholic leader and teacher in the church, which was the only church of the day, by the way. And God got a hold of his heart, and he used him to change the world, literally. I don't believe that we would be here if it wasn't for how God used Martin Luther and then others a little over 500 years ago. Because what happened in the Reformation, there's a lot that happened, and there was a lot that was trying to be reformed in what was then the only church in existence, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. There was, most importantly, at the center of it all, a revival and a renewal of the passion for the Word of God itself. See, because for a thousand years, and isn't it hard for us to grasp this time frame of a thousand years? I mean, how do we measure a thousand years, right? Like our country's been here almost 250 years. Some other older nations and countries have been around for more than a thousand years. But it's hard for us to grasp what a thousand years looks like. But for about a thousand years, from about the year 500 A.D. all the way until the mid-1500s when Martin Luther lived and the Reformation took place, for those thousand years, the Word of God was basically lost. It wasn't really preached in the church. There was a select few that knew how to read it. Masses or churches, uh, services were given in Latin. Very few people knew how to read let alone understand Latin, and there wasn't any Bible, it's hard for us to believe this, but there wasn't any Bible in the common languages. And so nobody could either read, or even if they could, they didn't even have it in their hands up until this point. There was for about a thousand years this situation. And God used Martin Luther and then a few others to begin to change that. And what it was at its core was a renewal and a revival for the passion for reading and understanding the Word of God. Martin Luther came along and simply, he loved his church and he simply wanted to bring reformation. If you ever heard of something called the 95 Theses, well, what happened on October 31st of the year 1517, Martin Luther went to this church the, the Wittenberg Castle Church, and he went up to the door, which is kind of common practice if somebody wanted to post an announcement or, or make some kind of statement. And he went and he nailed these 95, we call them 95 theses, or these 95 points of issue that he had with the church, things that he wanted to see change with the church that he loved. But he was not received well. And in the process, the reforms didn't take place a whole new church began. And that's why today we have Catholicism and Protestantism. It happened in the year 1517. It's when it started. But at the base of it all, at the center of it all, and the foundation of it all, 
was this one sola, which means only, sola scriptura. Did you ever hear that phrase? Sola scriptura simply means the Bible alone, or the Word of God alone. And it is the basis for that reformation that happened over 500 years ago. It was to simply say this, all that we know about God is found in the Word. It's not in man-made tradition. It's not what we think it might be. It's not in saying or doing certain things. It is all found in the very Word of God itself, the Bible. And everything else flowed from that. So I started thinking about this Reformation and what I was reading, what I'm reading in this book, and, and then it brought, it brought to mind this story, this amazing story we're about to read in Nehemiah chapter 8. Because the same thing happened in the year 445 B.C., that's before Christ. And so I want to read to you this passage. Because the first time I read, I remember the first time I read Nehemiah chapter 8. I was a young believer being discipled in the very first church where I was. And I read this, and I didn't quite understand what was going on. And I went to the pastor, and I said, can you help me understand this? And we looked through it together, and I remember reading that. You know how there's some scriptures and some stories from the Bible that, that you read for the first time, and something in it just, just really hits you and impacts you and stays with you. This is one of them for me. Because what you're going to see unfold is a people who are without the Word of God, and then they're desperate for it, they ask for it, God gives them His Word, and they are completely transformed. There is renewal and revival in their land. So I want to read to you Nehemiah chapter 8. This is verses 1 through the beginning of verse 18. And it'll be up on the screen for you, but if you have your Bibles, turn to it. It's always good to look at it in your own version of the Bible or in your Bible app. But I'm going to read this for us now. And um, I want you to, to just, just see how this, this story unfolds. And notice what happens to the people who are without the Word of God and what happens when they once again begin to hear it. Then we're just going to briefly unpack a few things from this story and talk about what this could possibly mean for us. All right, are you with me? Okay. So this is Nehemiah chapter 8. So all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate, in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. 
Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah. And on his left were Pedaiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Yeshua, Banai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Pelaiah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. May God bless the reading of his word to our minds and hearts this morning. Church, I hope that you captured the scene, the amazing scene of what was going on here. Let me unpack a little bit of what we just read. See, after the reconstruction of the wall, 
the people were ready. They were ready to move on to what was next. But they sensed inside of them, this whole group together, all the people of Israel, that there was something missing. See, about 13 years earlier, Ezra the priest had come back from captivity and was given permission to come back into the land, the promised land that God had given to the people of Israel, to come back and to do two things, to start rebuilding the temple where God was worshipped and to teach the law in the temple. So he was busy doing that, but then, of course, God sends Nehemiah. Remember, Nehemiah got permission to go back specifically to build the wall. Because back then, if you didn't have a wall, you didn't even have a city. So Nehemiah leads the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, and when it is just about finished, the people are ready to celebrate, but they realize they were missing something important. They had rebuilt the wall, the temple was being rebuilt, and the word of God was being taught in the temple, but the people didn't have it. They had been neglecting the word and just focused on the rebuilding of the wall, see? They were rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah came back to, re, to lead the rebuilding of the wall. They were doing it all, but they weren't reading the word of God. So what happened was, the people asked Ezra the priest for the word of God to be read. Now back then, of course, not, people didn't have the, uh, the scrolls of the law of Moses in their homes. The priests had it. Ezra had it. And so they came together and they said, Ezra, read us the word of the Lord. But what's interesting, it says all the people came together as one in the square, almost like it was spontaneous. But it said they all came together as one, men and women, and it says and others, which means children, because if the women were there, the children would have been there too. So men and women and children came to hear the word of God. And it says that Ezra was up on a high wooden platform so everybody can see him. Now think about it. There wasn't a hundred people there. There were thousands upon thousands, men and women and children. And Ezra got up and he opened the scroll and he began to read the law of the Lord. This would have been what we call the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But you know what also it says, hopefully you caught this, that Ezra stood and he read from dawn until noon, six hours. But it also says the people stood. The whole time they stood and listened to the word of God being read to them for six hours. From the break of day until noontime. Something was happening as the word of God was being read. Something was happening in their hearts, see? God was at work. And they began to weep. It says they were weeping and mourning as they heard the word of God read to them. Isn't that amazing? They were standing there, they were weeping and mourning. But what's also interesting is that as Ezra was reading, the Levites, the priests, they were doing something really cool. They were out walking amongst the people, all the thousands of people, 
clarifying and teaching and repeating what Ezra was reading. So they were walking about, picture it, if I'm reading from the Bible here, and there are others who are out there just walking among you saying, this is what he just read. Pastor Keith just said this, you know what this means? And they're just mingling amongst the people, and the people start weeping because they're hearing the very word of God. Now why are they weeping? For a couple of reasons. Remember they had been in exile, they were without their word, without their priests leading them. They had neglected the word. They weren't looking for it. They came back to rebuild the city and realized this is really nothing without the word of God. They were weeping because they were hearing the word of God read aloud for the very first time. Did you know that the Bible really is written to be spoken and read aloud, to be listened to? Any of you listen to the Bible? You listen to it? It used to be listened on tape, right? You listen to it now? The word of God was given, yes it was written, but it was then read aloud. Maybe if you've never done this, when you're reading your own Bible and in your daily reading, read it out loud. Yes, you usually read it slower, read it out loud. It's good, it will slow you down. You will hear your own voice. Maybe have somebody in your family read it to you or listen to it read on a Bible app. It was meant to be read aloud and listened to. And so Ezra is reading the word of God. The Levites and the priests are are mingling among them, teaching them and clarifying what was being said, and the people are weeping. One, because they hadn't heard the word of God in a long, long time. One preacher told a story once of how many years ago he went and he was teaching some classes in the Bible uh, in China where they don't readily have access to the word of God and many Christians have to go underground in communist China. And so he is teaching the word of God to a group of about uh, about a hundred where they got together in a clandestine way and, and he's teaching them. But then he had to leave. It was time for him to go. So he had to leave. They didn't want him to leave. So he went down the hallway in the apartment building, got into the elevator, and as many people as could followed him and crammed into the elevator. And on the elevator ride, they kept asking him questions about what he was reading. And as the elevator door opened, he left to get in his car, and they followed him. And as he was getting in the car, they were asking questions. And as he had to drive away, many of them were running after him continuing to ask questions and say, read some more of the Word of God to us. Can you imagine? When you go home today, count how many Bibles you have in your house. I have many in my office and in my house. How often do we read the Word of God? Does it move us when we open it? Have you ever had a time in your life, maybe it's right now, where you realize that you're missing the word of God and then you go to open it and you just know your heart is changing. Maybe you start weeping and you can sense the transformation because you've missed it. See, the Bible tells us itself, about itself, that it is alive and active. It is the very word of God. Church, reading the word of God is a holy and sacred employ. It is a holy and sacred thing to do. Because it's not just words on a page. Those words are alive, and those words bring life. You agree with me? They do. If you ever go to to look at a church's statement of faith, you go to ours and you'll see this 
almost always, as I think they should, they start when they talk about what they believe, their doctrinal statement. The first thing is, what do they believe about the Bible? Because all that we know about God comes from the Holy Scriptures. Do we believe that the Bible is perfect? Is it without error? Is it the inspired Word of God? Is it the very Word of God Himself? Because all else flows from that. What we know about God, what we know about ourselves, what we know about the world around us stems from that. So the people were listening for six hours straight, standing and weeping. Just as a side note, must have been a lot of great moms there to have their kids standing for six hours listening. It's pretty good, right? So they're standing and listening. But then here's what happens. They start to mourn for two reasons. One, because they had missed it. But here's the other thing. They hear the Word of God being spoken to them and read to them, and they start to realize their sin. They start to become convicted. Convicted that they had neglected their God. Neglected doing what God had told them to do. They had been obedient children to their Heavenly Father and had not been listening to their word. We all know what it's like when we disobey our Father, right? And so our Heavenly Father gives us the word and they started weeping not only because they had it, because they were realizing how sinful they had been. So they were repentant of heart and sorry that they had been disconnected from their God and their Maker. But then something interesting happens, church. Nehemiah and Ezra the priest and the other, the other Levites, they start telling them, wait, wait, wait. We understand this, but this is a holy day. This is a day for rejoicing because the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's time for mourning and weeping, but it's not today. You know, Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve, we had a nice service here, and I mentioned one of the verses from this passage. It said, you know what? We can have, there's a lot for us to mourn. We look back the last two years, there's a lot of things that, that we can be sorrowful for, and we can look back and say, man, there's been a lot of tough times on a day of thanksgiving like we had on Thursday. And today, we get together on a Sunday morning, it's a time for rejoicing, church. Because we are with our God, and He is with us, and He has spoken to us, amen? Our God who created us, who created the universe, has spoken to us, and He has given us His very Word. And we open His Word. See, I have two right up here. I said, how many do you have? He has spoken to us. How do you approach the Word of God? You approach it in a very trite and dismissive manner. Or do you realize it's a holy and sacred endeavor to open this word and say, these are the very words of God himself, the one who created me. He wants me to know him. He wants me to spend time with him. He wants me to know who I am in his eyes, a child of the living God. And so they're mourning because they have the word now that they've missed so much, but because they're repentant and realizing how sinful they are, but the leaders say, don't. Rejoice. And they say, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Did you do that on Thursday? You did. Amen. Good. I think we all did, right? 
But it also says, and I don't want to miss this, and also send some to those who have nothing prepared. See, when we rejoice because of the word of God, it is to move us and change us. We celebrate. Once a month here, usually on the first Sunday of the month, we eat together, don't we? It's part of our rejoicing. We gather around the Lord's table and have what we call communion, the bread and the cup to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. Sorry, for our sin. But then we go and we also celebrate the fact that we have new life in Him. And we do it around the table filled with food, with choice food and sweet drinks. But He says, send some to those who have nothing prepared. Think of other people that are in need. You know, when we receive, when we receive the Word of God, when we receive the gospel itself, we are not to just keep it to ourselves as choice food and sweet drink, but the Word of God, the truth of God, the gospel of grace, of salvation in Christ and Him alone, we are to share it with others, just like we are to share with the choicest food and sweet drink that we enjoy. Amen? We are to take what God has given us and share it with others. And we are to do that with the Bible, with the Word of God. And let others know the truth about who God is. So they told the people, yes, there's time for mourning, but it's not today. But then in verse 13, it says this. Because that was on the first day of this month, of this special month in the Hebrew calendar. It says, on the second day of the month... The heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, they came back to Ezra and they wanted more. Church, let's not miss this. Here's what happened. They heard the word of God. Right First they asked for it. They desired it. They listened to the word of God. Every word that Ezra was reading. They understood it. And the next day they came back and said, you know what, we have to do something. See, they were moved. They were transformed. They were moved into action. They came back and they said, you know what, Ezra, yesterday you were reading and you, you read something in there. We remember from our ancestors, we remember something you were reading. It triggered our memory about this festival or this feast we're supposed to, to celebrate. God gave us some feasts and stuff. And, and one of them was the Feast of the Tabernacles, which we also call the Feast of Booths or Sukkot. And they said, uh, you, uh, Ezra, you read that we're supposed to gather branches and, and build these temporary shelters like on our roofs and attached to our homes. And what was that for again? So Ezra would have told them, yes, it was to remember how God had rescued and redeemed our people from slavery in Egypt. It was one of those feasts. And so they said, well, we have to do that, right? And he said, yeah. So they all went out into the hill country. They gathered sticks and branches. They came back and listened. They did what God had instructed them to do that they had not done for many, many years. They heard the word of God and they were moved into action. And they said, let's do what God told us to do. Let's remember how good God is. And so that's what they did. And they built these booths and see that festival and that feast day, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Sukkot, is still celebrated by the Jews today. It's a remembrance of God rescuing them and giving them shelter in the desert, in the wilderness, as they were making their way to the promised land. 
It is also a foreshadow of God sending the Lord Jesus Christ himself to tabernacle with us. We are entering into the Advent season, the days and the Sundays leading up to Christmas. We call it Advent because we're remembering and celebrating the first coming of Jesus, the first Advent of the Savior. But of course, as Christians, we look forward to the second Advent, don't we? To the return of our Savior. But we know that first coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ that we celebrate that happened over 2,000 years ago, the baby born in the manger, the Bible calls his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It literally means that God is with us. God tabernacled with us. He dwelt among us. It's written in the Gospel of John. It says that he came to live with us. In John 7, 37-39, look what it says. Jesus said these words, interestingly enough, Jesus spoke these words during the celebration of the Feast of Booths. People had gathered in Jerusalem. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The Bible says that our cups overflow. During our Thanksgiving Eve service, I reminded the church that, you know, the optimist says the cup is half full. The pessimist says the cup is half empty. But the child of God says, my cup overfloweth. With God, he wants to bless us in abundance. Our joy is his joy. Our strength is found in the joy that is in him and him alone. And Jesus says to his disciples during the celebration of the Feast of Booths, he says, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. You'll never thirst again. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, just as the Scripture said. Do you see that? Jesus referred to the law, to the Old Testament. Jesus referred to the Word of God. Jesus is always pointing us to the Father, is He not? The Holy Spirit is always pointing us to the Son. And He said, this is the Word of God. If you believe in Me, come. You are thirsty, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, because it's what the Word says. The Word of God changed the people of Israel as they were listening to Ezra read it. It transformed them. It brought revival and renewal. We need that, church. We need that here. We need that in our community. My pastor friend and I prayed for it. We need it in our world. We need Christians, brothers and sisters, to say, yes, we have strayed away from the Word of God. We're going to dive deep into, words, into God's Word and again, remember who God is, who we are, and what our God expects of us. When we open the Word of God, we are reminded of His heart. We are reminded of the heart of God. What He loves should be what we love. The Bible is where we hear the voice of God. 
We learn the mind of God and we draw close to the heart of God. Romans 12, 2 famously says these words. Do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Church, what is it that we are doing with our mind that transforms us? We're reading the word of God. This is what Paul says in Romans 12. See, Romans 1 through 11, Paul had just been talking all about how they were saved, and they're no longer under the law, but they are now saved by grace. And so Paul then in chapter 12 starts to say, therefore, this is what you are to do. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says in verse 2, don't try to be like the world anymore. You used to be in the world. You're not of the world. He says, no longer be transformed by the, or conformed to the world, but be transformed. See the difference? Are we, trying to be, are we trying to conform ourselves to the world so the world can like us? Or are we trying to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by reading God's word over and over again? The people stood for six hours as the sun rose until it was right high in the middle of the sky. For six hours they stood and they heard the word of God and they wept. And their hearts and minds were transformed. It led to revival and renewal. You want to change your life? Read the Word of God. Are you desperate for revival in your heart, for something to change in your heart, for you to look at life differently? Dive deep into God's Word. Get a devotional to help you. We have our daily breads out there, a good way to start. It's just a short little reading to help you read a portion of God's Word to have a thought on it and then to pray about it, to think about it, to memorize. It's a good way to get you into it. If you want a, a deeper or a different kind of devotional, ask me. I'll recommend one for you. Or better yet, just open the Bible and start reading. Read the Psalms and praise God and worship Him along with the Psalms. How about reading a proverb a day? Start with the Gospel of John, the most evangelistic of all them, remembering that Jesus is the Savior sent for us. How about you read Ephesians to re be reminded of who you are in Christ and all that you are as part of the church. Read the book of Romans for, to learn about the nature of your salvation, the freedom you have from legalism and the law. Open the letter of Philippians to learn about joy in the midst of trial. Read the book of Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, to be reminded of how God is a God of redemption and rescue. Read the book of Acts in the New Testament for a wonderful history of the very first Christians and how they lived for Christ as his disciples. Or read the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, to get to know the King. The king that was sent and what he did and what he taught and what he said and then to learn about the king who is to come. We enter into the Advent season now, church, and we are being uh, reminded of how we are to celebrate the first coming, the first Advent of Jesus Christ. But our hope is future. Our hope is now about what is going to happen in the future, and that is the return, the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. He comes back for his church, and then he comes back to the world as the King of Kings 
the Lord of Lords, to set up his kingdom that is rightfully his. See, this is what Christians do. They open the word of God. This is what believers in Jesus, what disciples do. They say, Jesus, how do we follow you? Didn't Jesus say, if you want to be my disciple, then you are to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. How do we do that, Jesus? Where are you going? How do we do that? What are the footsteps? How do we do that, Lord Jesus? How do we follow you? We open the word of God. And he tells us how to do that. This message this morning, as I bring it to a close, is in preparation for the rest of our study in the book of Colossians. So we've read the first half already. We finished in chapter 2 last week. And now we're looking into chapters 3 and 4. And next week you're going to see this very familiar phrase that comes out of Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Did you ever hear that phrase? It comes from Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. How do we know what those things above are. Where is Christ? How do we find him? What are we to set our, our minds on? It is the very word of God himself. Church, would you stand with me? I considered asking you to stand through the whole sermon. I figured if the Israelites can stand for six hours, you could stand for 40 minutes. But it's okay. God and some other people told me no. <laughs> But here's what I'd like to do. Before we close with, with one last song of worship, I want to read to you, while we're all standing, from Psalm 19. Just three verses. But look at what this wonderful psalm says about the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the decrees of the Lord are firm. And all of them are righteous. Amen. You say amen to that? Amen. amen.
Church, let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Direct our paths this week until we meet again. May we continually recognize your blessings in our lives and move us, Holy Spirit, to open the word of God each and every day to learn more about our Heavenly Father and about how much He loves us and who He has called us to be. Holy Spirit, continue to illuminate the truth that we might see that path before us. For Your Word is that lamp and that light. God, thank You. And finally, Lord, renew in us, refresh in us, that right spirit. Father God, your heart is for renewal and restoration and revival always. God, start with us. Lord God, start with us. We pray, Lord God, that you would draw people to yourself, that they would come to learn, love you and your beautiful word. Thank you, Lord, for our time together this morning. Now go before us, prepare that path. May you be blessed and glorified through all that we say and do. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Go in peace.